Welcome to Technology Transfer IP. Technology transfer is the process by which valuable research, skills, knowledge, and technology developed by educational institutions is transferred to industry for development and to products and services that will benefit society. From basic patent licensing to promoting startups, entrepreneurship, and industry collaborations, while also investing in and managing technology developments. We bring you conversations with the leaders in technology transfer who will share their stories, including their successes, challenges, and expectations for the future. Here's your host, Lisa Mueller. Hello and welcome. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Ellen McKay. Ellen is the Director of Innovation Development in the Office of Innovation, Partnerships, and Economic Development at Lakehead University in Thunder Bay, Canada. In this role, Ellen works with faculty to identify, evaluate, and protect intellectual property developed at the university. Ellen also creates and negotiates a variety of different types of contracts and works to commercialize and license the intellectual property developed at the university. Additionally, Ellen oversees the business incubator, Ingenuity, which provides programming, support, and funding to startups, spinoffs, and local small businesses. Ellen has a Bachelor of Arts in English Language and Literature from the University of Windsor and a Bachelor and Master's of Education from Lakehead University. And with that impressive background, welcome to the podcast, Ellen. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Well, thank you so much again, Ellen, for taking part in the podcast. I'm really excited to have you here. Ellen, I generally like to start the podcast off by asking my guests about their journey to tech transfer. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up in Thunder Bay and at Lakehead University? Absolutely. Um, like most tech transfer professionals, I definitely fell into it. Um, as you mentioned, my background is in education and I was waiting to get uh, on the supply list for teaching and I accepted an assistant job in the tech transfer office. And basically within five years, I had four roles. I worked my way up to director. I'm not originally from Thunder Bay. I'm from the southernmost tip of Ontario. So I moved here to go to school and I absolutely fell in love with Thunder Bay and the beauty of Northern Ontario. And I, I knew I wanted to stay. So Lakehead, you know, had sort of been such an amazing school to attend. So I began working in the tech transfer office, knowing absolutely nothing about tech transfer. And I slowly realized that it wasn't just a great school. It was also a really great place to work. Um, I was lucky enough to be mentored by Barb Eccles, who is now general counsel and secretariat at Lakehead. And she taught me the ins and outs of tech transfer in a really intensive sort of three months. And it was wonderful to have access to her. You know, when I run into things that are crazy or unusual, you know, she's still there, which is, has been really great. Um, and that's sort of how I started to gain a real respect for the work as well as the researchers that I was working with. And I kind of found my own passion for tech transfer. Plus, like it has such a supportive environment. So I'm really glad I stayed in tech transfer and in Thunder Bay. Like it's, it's been 12 years and I still absolutely love this city and the university. I, I couldn't imagine living anywhere else. Yeah, that's quite an incredible journey, given, like you said, your background was really education. So mm -hmm. I'm curious, could you tell us a little bit about your office for those of our listeners who are not familiar with the Office of Innovation Partnership and Economic Development there at the university? Of course, yeah. 
So our office is really the first point of contact for researchers, industry, and other external parties who want to establish an industry academic research partnership or you know, a research contract or agreement between university researchers and a government or not-for-profit organizations. So we're really the university's intellectual property resource for faculty, staff, students, and really we're sort of an important priority for Lakehead University as a whole. So kind of the services that we provide are intellectual property protection, you know, patents, copyright, trademark, that kind of thing, licensing for university technology. We serve as a liaison between industry, the local community, and the university. We assist with industry uh, government collaborative programs and projects. We support the creation and development of startup businesses uh, through Ingenuity, which is our student business incubator. And we oversee the overall management of the university's intellectual property. So we're, we're kind of a one-stop shop for all things involving partnerships and IP and commercialization. We're definitely a small office. Um, I'm the only uh, technology transfer person on staff. I'm actually the only registered technology transfer professional in all of Northern Ontario. Oh, wow. So I wear a lot of hats, but it keeps things fun and, and interesting and never dull. Yeah, I would imagine they're, like you said, never dull. And and you alluded to something called the Ingenuity Incubator. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about that. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd love to. So Ingenuity is our Lakehead University's first business incubator. We launched it in November 2018. And it's located in our newest building, the Center for Advanced Studies in Engineering and Science, or CASES. And I had the privilege of being there through the whole process. So from designing the space to developing the programming to hiring the perfect manager, um, I I toured almost every Ontario University incubator. And I asked them, what did you do well? What did you wish you had done differently? And then based on all the information that I gathered, we designed this space. And it includes, you know, co-working space, um, a maker space, media rooms, rentable offices, uh, bookable meeting rooms, a theater, um, a community zone, an app hub, and a prototype development lab. So it really sort of is all encompassing. It's a space that's a home for entrepreneurs. We we want them to collaborate and you know work and design and dream and innovate. It was really established to incubate student-based startups through mentorship and entrepreneur skills training. But really, we hoped it would help foster that culture of entrepreneurship and and support students and community members, not just students, we're open to the community as well, and sort of give every entrepreneur a space to help create employment and self-employment opportunities. So it really functions as a pipeline to our community partners as well. So the other entities that exist to help entrepreneurs, we all work together to best support any entrepreneurial idea. So Um, supporting entrepreneurship and innovation is one of the pillars in our strategic plan and our research plan. And the mission was really to create that thriving community of entrepreneurial thinkers powered by that collaborative space. Wow, that's really amazing. It sounds like a lot of thought, like you said, went into the design of that incubator since you traveled around and looked at all the incubators uh, there in Ontario. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I wanted to switch gears, Ellen, and ask you a little bit um, about some of the differences between how tech transfer is handled in Canada compared to maybe other countries, um, more specifically like the U.S. and the U.K. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Canada is very unique in that, you know, every university has its own intellectual property policy and stance on IP ownership. So Lakehead, for example, is an inventor owned institution and it's our job. We aim to protect the researchers' rights to retain their own IP when working, you know, with industry partners, but they can do with it what they want. So of course, with revenue sharing provisions, but for Canadian universities, Roughly one third is inventor owned, one third is institution owned, and one third is jointly owned. We have a group called the Canadian Technology Transfer Professional uh, Group, and we we sort of made a map so that everybody knew how everybody functions in terms of IP, and the map was really eye opening. Uh, and because of this, every office handles technology transfer a little differently. You know, some file everything, some have like a triage process, some are incredibly selective, some file only provisionals and then do a market assessment. So it's a bit of a mixed bag. There's no set process or right or wrong way of doing things. It's funny you should ask this. I actually presented in Dublin a few years ago at the University Industry Interaction Network Conference, and it was all about the differences between tech transfer in Canada and the States and Europe. One of the differences I focused on in that was the competition with the U.S. for a market. You know, Canada is so close to the U.S., we sometimes lose technologies to U.S. companies, and it's tough keeping innovation in the Canadian economy. So there are definitely differences in Canada and struggles there that we strive to overcome. Well, that's fascinating. And and given what you just said, Ellen, I'm curious, how involved is the Canadian government in tech transfer? I'm sure you're very familiar with the Bayh-Dole Act in the U.S. Do you have something similar there in Canada? Great question. We do not have any sort of bi-dual style of reporting. It's definitely one major difference between Canada and the States. But the government of Ontario recently published a report on the intellectual property in Ontario's innovation ecosystem, and they put together an expert panel on IP, and they held extensive consultations with tech transfer offices, innovation centers, medical and research organizations, just all the innovation stakeholders. And then based on what they found, um, they, they brought out key themes and they came up with recommendations to better the landscape and benefit Ontario's economy. So some of the goals that they have are to standardize IP education, which would be incredibly beneficial to researchers and students and entrepreneurs, everyone really. I mean, that would be wonderful. Um, they also want to standardize a governance framework for all innovation and entrepreneurial support organizations and also help TTOs have a clear mandate regarding their role and responsibilities in generating IP for the benefit of Ontario's economy. So we aren't really sure yet what each of these tasks will mean or what they will look like, but it's the first time in a long time that it feels proactive on the government side and that change is coming and hopefully good change, helpful change. Yeah, it sounds like it. It's going to be interesting to watch and and see how that develops. And you mentioned, Ellen, about uh, losing sometimes technologies and things to the U.S. And so I'm wondering, given your location in Canada, has it been hard to secure venture funding or capital for startups coming out of the university? Absolutely. Yeah. Northern Ontario is not only in competition between Canada and the States, but Northern Ontario specifically is often in competition with Southern Ontario. And I don't know if listeners know just how big Ontario is. It's it's bigger than the state of Texas. So if investors or industry partners or funders want to fund someone sort of close to home, they often stay in Southern Ontario. 
Now, one thing that we have going for us is our proximity to the Boreal Forest and Lake Superior and sort of the great outdoors. And that provides us with, you know, an opportunity for exceptional research. And that's been a really key player in Lakehead's research excellence. It provides unique opportunities for more northern focused businesses in in fields such as biorefining, natural resource management, tourism, forestry, mining, agriculture, that kind of thing. So although it makes some things harder, like securing funding, it also brings a lot of positives as well. Now, Alan, turning back to your office, you said you're the only full-time person there. I was wondering, do you have some additional help there or other people who um, come in like mentors and things like that as well? For sure. Yeah. Um, So our office is a bit unusual in that we have two directors. I'm the director of innovation development and I handle all things tech transfer, but we also have a director of industry research partnerships, Bill Maloney, and he's really the industry liaison and the matchmaker between researchers and industry partners. And he helps them find funding and solidify projects and then passes them to me to handle all of the contracts and negotiation and tech transfer stuff. And so this means that all the legal IP licensing, commercialization, all of that obviously falls to me. I wish I had a staff member for each of those things, but yeah. that's like a small office. Um, we're also lucky enough to have an administrative officer, Kelly Fettis. She's a true jack of all trades when it comes to all things administrative. Um, she's also our resident event planner and sponsorship guru. And she's a resident baker in the office. She constantly <laughs> supports us with muffins and bakers. Nice. I think I've pounds since being back at the office. Um, <laughs> But we also have a manager of ingenuity, Allison McKay. No relation to me. We have to say that because everyone always asks. Oh, too funny. I married into the name, but she was born with it. Um, she handles all of the programming and daily management of the incubator, as well as mentors all of the entrepreneurs. And then we also have a part-time ingenuity coordinator, Taylor Ganan, and he helps Allie with all things ingenuity. So it is a very small staff, but there are a lot of advantages to having you know a small office. I chair the small office committee uh, at Autumn. And we always advocate that small offices are often seen as being disadvantaged, but sometimes we're small but mighty. You know, we, we tend to have speed and flexibility where larger offices struggle and we're positioned to be, you know, trusted advisors to both faculty and senior administration. And we sometimes have an easier time working effectively with academia because we don't have things get rerouted or bogged down in processes or bureaucracy. So, I mean, we have had some co-op students and interns Uh, throughout the years, but five is the most staff that we've ever had at one time. We have to sort of hire out licensing professionals when we need them and hire out patent agents and attorneys as need be. So that's kind of our office in a nutshell. So given your size, I'm curious, can you tell us how many invention disclosures, patent filings, revenue generating agreements, royalty income, things like that that your office had in the last year? Yeah, so our numbers have definitely nosedived since the onset of COVID. I don't know if that's typical for other offices. We we have a lot of conversations about that in our in our Canadian tech transfer group, but I can count on one hand how many disclosures we've gotten in the last year. Um, we typically file everything that we get as long as it's feasible and the patent database searching comes back as novel. But we're, we're really trying to shift our metrics away from the standard numbers like those and towards measuring impact. So we talk a lot about this in the small office community because we just can't compete with the massive players with unlimited budgets. So instead of trying to, we really should be focusing our efforts on measuring impact. And so what we do is we try to count things like 
number of meetings with faculty, number of industry partnerships, number of events held and connections made and networks strengthened and contributions to the ecosystems that are in place. So those are the things that really show progress and the things that highlight success stories and kind of breed winners. It's a slower process for sure. It's less, um, it's more difficult to, to not have those easy numbers to pull out when people ask, but uh, you know, most metrics are those standard ones, but I think those numbers, you know, the more we show success, maybe the less those numbers will matter because, you know, we could inflate those numbers of patent filings by adding a ton of jurisdictions if we had an unlimited budget, right? But it doesn't mean that success will come of it and it, it doesn't push innovation forward. So why chase the numbers when you can't, you know, when you can highlight what you're doing well and highlight the impact that you're making with your faculty and your students. So I think that's what most people care about anyway and what people will remember. Yeah, I agree. And I'm hearing that more and more from um, more guests on this podcast that they feel what's really relevant is exactly what you said, which is the impact rather than the metrics. Although, you know, some people, it's like the the, you know, chicken, the egg, you know, we need the metrics to be able to figure out and engage where you are and, and whether you're improving. But at the same time, I think there's a lot to be said for measuring impact as well. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So, Ellen, I wanted to ask you what you think is most important in managing innovations to give them the greatest opportunity for success. I think first, you really need to care about the people. You know, you can have one great invention or one great idea, but it's possible that a lot of people probably contributed to that idea. And it's up to you to support the people and not just the idea. You know, it's important to show them that you aren't just providing them services to increase your numbers or to get a big winner, but you're supporting their vision and their goals and you know, inventors care so much about their research and entrepreneurs care so much about their businesses. So it's up to you to sort of see past the potential and the numbers and see the person, see the work that they put in and see the heart behind the project and get to know what that means to them. And And I think that will help move things forward and it'll build trust and it'll help provide better opportunities for success. Yeah, I think that's a great answer. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, Ellen, I wanted to switch gears and ask you about corporate partners and the role they play there at Lakehead University. Can you give us some examples of some relationships with corporate partners? Yeah, for sure. So we're really excited about a recent announcement of um, Impala Canada investing $375,000, which we leveraged into over $2 million to help establish an industrial research chair in mineral exploration. And it's a joint collaboration with the Northern Ontario Heritage Fund and the National Sciences and Engineering Research Council of Canada. And it's aimed at further unlocking the resource potential of Northern Ontario. So that's really an exciting opportunity up here. And some of the other big players that we work with a lot are FP Innovations and Resolute. Many of our industry partners are in the natural resource management field just because of that's our research excellence is in that area. And we also have a biorefining institute. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So would you say having these corporate partners has led to more deals or perhaps differently structured deals? Yeah, I think so. I think corporate partners open the doors to more partnership grants. So yes, they definitely lead to more deals or at least more opportunities for funding. In Canada, an increased amount of academic research and innovation is reliant on partnerships for resources. And of course, that's key to tech transfer. So 
And in terms of different structures, we definitely see different deal structures from contract for service to leveraged research funding to various negotiated IP outcomes. It all just depends on the partner. So what about philanthropic organizations? I think, you know, you mentioned natural resources, biorefinery. That's really kind of your expertise there. I don't know if there's much opportunity for philanthropic organizations. Not as much. Uh, I think they provide more funding into the ecosystem, which is great. And that ultimately provides more opportunities for research and innovation. Uh, But I, I think there aren't as many as we would like to see in those areas. Now, switching gears again, Ellen, I wanted to ask you, could you tell us about some of your office's biggest success stories, whether they're successful technologies, startups or things like that? Absolutely. So so recently, our office partnered with the local Economic Development Commission, and we produced four commercial style videos that showcased our research excellence. And the four projects were so interesting. We, we put a call out for researchers and we had a lot of applications. And the four that we selected were really cool. One of them was about dr- drone transportation for medications and medical equipment to remote and rural areas in northern Ontario. One was the discovery of an app called JoyPop, and that was designed to support young people in building resilience to help them utilize their existing coping skills and build new coping skills for better mental health, which obviously everybody can benefit from over the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, One was about 3D printed PPE and reusable filters for masks and creating a network around Ontario to help stop the spread of COVID. And the last one was a project about new immigrant integration and assessing systematic discrimination and barriers to participation and sort of developing recommendations to increase long-term retention. So all of the videos can be found on the Lakehead University Research and Innovation YouTube page. And it was so much fun creating these videos and showing these, you know, how passionate these researchers are about making an impact in the world and making a difference in the local and regional areas. We're also supporting a number of successful spin-off companies and they range from Radialis, which is a medical company using positron emission tomography imaging to revolutionize the field of mammography and to Ligno Advances, which is a chemical company providing lignin-based products that are cost-effective, safer, eco-friendly for the sustainable development of industries. And then our most exciting student startup just graduated from our um, Ingenuity Accelerator program called Ascend this summer, and they're called Manila. And they're a mobile payment company that connects international students using peer-to-peer matching for cross-border payments for the users with speed and security. So it's really cool what they're doing and helping their, their international students. And it's cool seeing a business come out of, you know, from an international student that sort of had problems with something and then want to fix it for other international students. It's pretty cool. So we have a lot of exciting activity happening um, in the startup realm, but those are just a few exceptionally exciting ones. Yeah, those are very, very impressive. And Ellen, with success also comes challenges. So I'd be curious to know what you would say your office's two biggest challenges are. Yeah, I think the first one would be awareness, both internally and externally. You know, we do as much as we can in terms of marketing and hosting events and showcasing our successes. But I think there are still a lot of people, both internally and externally, who are unaware of who we are and what we do. Um, 
The second one would be resources, both in terms of staff and in terms of funding. I would love to have another person or two or three dedicated to just the contract work and maintaining the patent suite. But in a small office, you know, like I said, we have to wear a lot of hats and some things, you know, you have to prioritize certain things over other things. And the day-to-day fires, so to speak, outweigh sometimes the long-term strategic planning that we'd like to put in, in place for the office. And perhaps that leads back to the first challenge of awareness too, right? We aren't getting out there and doing as many events as we'd like, especially now with COVID. The awareness piece is so important. It can really make or break um, an office. And in terms of funding, you know, we've been lucky enough to receive FedNOR funding for Ingenuity, but we are working to put a sustainability plan together for when the funding ends. And our patent budget is significantly less than other offices. So we've had to limit our filing jurisdictions to just Canada and the United States, which has probably impacted overall licensing opportunities. So I would say those would be our biggest challenges. Now, Ellen, I wanted to ask you about diversity, equity, and inclusion, because this is a, a very important topic that's being discussed in tech transfer offices all around the world. Does Lakehead have any programs to help encourage and assist women and other traditionally underrepresented inventors and entrepreneurs? And if so, could you talk about those in a little bit of detail? Absolutely. Yeah. Funny story before I answer that question. Our office recently changed its name to iPad from Economic Development and Innovation or EDI because EDI (laughs) is synonymous now. Yeah, exactly. We kept confusing people, so we had to change it. Anyway, yes, through through Ingenuity, we partnered with multiple organizations to support and assist women entrepreneurs, the main one being PARO, the Center for Women's Enterprise, which is a local organization specifically supporting female-based small business. And we partner with them on events throughout the year. We provide them access to our students through Ingenuity Community, which is a space within Ingenuity where all of our partners can come and meet students and hold office hours. And we also provide mentor matching through them. So our women entrepreneurs can connect with other women entrepreneurs and have access to funding specific to them. We do the same thing for Aboriginal and Indigenous students through our partnership with NADF or Anishinaabe ASCII Development Fund, which is a not-for-profit organization, financial institution supporting Indigenous startups. So that's really one area that we want to make sure that we're supporting, especially in the area that we are in. And Ingenuity will also be offering for the first time this year, the Ingenuity Indigenous Startup Fund, which is a specific fund for Indigenous entrepreneurs. And they will complete sort of an individually tailored accelerator program for their business in order to obtain the funding. So that interview process begins this December. So we're really excited to offer that. Yeah, that's really uh, amazing. That's fantastic that that fund is being offered. So uh, we'll have to have you back on uh, after uh, some time has passed to see how that's going. Mm -hmm, For sure. So, Ellen, you mentioned before about being involved in Autumn. I wanted to know what other organizations you're involved with and what value you think they add. Yes, I am very involved in Autumn. As I mentioned, um, I'm the chair of the small office committee and it's a lot of work, but it's very rewarding. You know, we hold quarterly webinars facilitated by the members on a variety of topics that are typically pretty well attended. And we also have a course every other year for, for small offices. Um, and then I'm also involved in Autumn's Job Task Analysis Committee, where we created and we sent out this survey on the evolving tasks within the profession. 
so that Autumn can better provide courses and learning opportunities for its members. So I would say that I'm definitely not impartial when answering this question. <laughs> That's but okay. Honestly, being part of Autumn has has only positively impacted my passion for the work. I think the best thing about Autumn is the camaraderie. I've met so many amazing people and the strong sense of community that Autumn has given me has really made me grow in this profession, but also as a person. You know, from the friendships I've gained at Autumn, I've literally traveled the world and presented at conferences with my friends on this crazy world of tech transfer that I didn't even know existed 10 years ago. Um, So that's, it's been amazing. And in the small office committee, you know, I've learned so many tips and tricks that I've implemented in our office that I would have never thought of on my own. So we, we actually call it a support group because sometimes we just commiserate with each other, but but it actually is so supportive. And, and I mentioned um, Barb, Eggle, Barb, Barb Eccles at the beginning as my mentor at Lakehead, and she was actually the Canadian Autumn president way back when. And she was the one who encouraged me to attend and get it in, as involved as much as I could because it would really push me forward professionally. And she couldn't have been more right. I can't say enough about the value of Autumn. And then one other organization that we are involved in is the University Economic Development Association, or UIDA. And we're currently going through the Innovation and Economic Prosperity designation process with UIDA, which involves a three-year self-study process by engaging economic development stakeholders and determining um, what your institution could be doing better in terms of economic engagement. So that's really exciting. We're about halfway through that process. And if we receive the designation, we'll only be the second Canadian institution to receive. And there's about 70 designees total. So I recently attended the UIDA annual summit in Savannah. It was my first time. It was absolutely beautiful. And their theme was EDI. So <laughs> that's too funny. That. Very informative and, and definitely a lot of value for the attendees at, at UIDA. So I really enjoyed it. Well, I wanted to switch gears yet again, Ellen, and ask you about your view on credentialing, uh, things like registered tech transfer professional, certified licensing professional, uh, whether you think uh, it makes a difference. I definitely think it makes a difference. Yeah, I see the value in obtaining those credentials. For people inside the world of tech transfer, you know, they know what it means and, and that it holds value that way. But Personally, I wanted to obtain them for the people outside of the world of tech transfer who maybe have no idea what tech transfer is because it provides you an opportunity to explain what those credentials mean, but also it adds credibility, not only to your profession, but also to your expertise. Um, As a woman in this profession, working in a primarily male-dominated academic world, I found that having those credentials put me on a level playing field and provided me a level of professionalism that I, you know, I expect more than before I had them. And on top of that, you know, as a young woman coming into this field, and I say young, I'm turning 35 in a couple of weeks, but when I started, I was in my 20s, which I think is young. Uh, you know, it was especially hard to be taken seriously. And so providing proof of, you know, my expertise and knowledge in this field, it definitely made a difference. So I would recommend the RTTP credential to anyone and everyone in this profession. Ellen, I generally like to close a podcast by asking my guests, if you could have any three wishes granted or a vision realized for your office, what would that be? I love this question. Uh, I would obviously ask for more wishes, but I assume <laughs> that that's not uh, no, allowed. No, um, no more wishes. Sorry. <laughs> so my first wish 
would be that everyone, you know, would gain an understanding that ecosystem building is a process and it's not going to happen overnight. And there are things that we can do to move the needle, but it takes time. It takes many, many players and players who are willing to partner and willing to collaborate and engage and build those ecosystems, whether they're innovation ecosystems or entrepreneurial ecosystems, you know, they really do matter, but they really do take time. Um, my second wish would be a total overhaul of the metrics. I know we touched on this a little bit, but moving away from that standard invention disclosure, patent filing number of licenses and moving towards an era of you know, measuring impact and sharing successes, I think that would benefit everyone. Uh, my third wish would be for unlimited entrepreneurial funding. My <laughs> least favorite part of the job is the dream crusher part where, yeah. you know, somebody has a really good idea and you have to crush their dreams or you have to just say like, there's no funding available for what you're specifically doing. You know, it would be so wonderful to fund every good idea that comes walking through my door. So that would be my third wish. Yeah, those, those are great wishes. So, well, Ellen, I can't thank you enough for all your insights and time today. This has been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. If any of our listeners want to reach out and ask you any questions, where can they reach you? Sure. Yeah, they can reach me at, send me an email at emckay, and it's E-M-A-C-K-A-Y at lakeheadu.ca. Great. Well, thanks so much again, Ellen. It's been really great to have this opportunity to talk to you. Thank you. I had a great time. Thank you for listening to Technology Transfer IP. Please visit us online for more resources at techtransferipforum.com. New to Tech Transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for Tech Transfer and is here to help you get connected, get smart, and get ahead. Whether you work in academia, research, government, business development, corporate engagement, or startups, Autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education, advocacy, networking, and promotion. Join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars, as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses, insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges, and a line on new technologies and the university decision makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.